Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio, an Ohio healthcare podcast in collaboration with WCBE. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. Over recent weeks, we've heard a lot about how older people are among the most vulnerable and a particular risk if they should contract COVID-19. Over the past few weeks as well, we've seen a spike in cases in American nursing homes and assisted living facilities. At the same time, our thinking about the health and well-being of older Americans has started to shift in recent years, especially with so-called aging in place becoming an increasingly attractive alternative to traditional facilities. On today's episode, we talk with Juana Patton, the president of the Ohio District 5 Area Agency on Aging, a private nonprofit serving nine counties in North Central Ohio. Among other things, Duana and I talk about how the stay-at-home order is affecting older Americans and what we're learning right now about older Americans' needs, not only during extraordinary times like the coronavirus pandemic, but generally. As always, before turning to my conversation with today's guest, I'd just like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts, and consider following us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio, or look for us on Facebook. Also, if you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. We're really excited about the next bunch of shows we have coming. To give you just a little taste, these include an interview with a state representative about ways to make sure Ohioans have access to health care services over the coming months of high unemployment. We've also got an episode about the importance of humor and making it through the COVID pandemic, in which I interviewed two Cincinnati comedians, and an interview with the president of the Ohio Restaurant Association, and more. With that said, if you can swing $3 a month, I'm trying to throw a few bucks to my producer, Mark, a currently laid-off restaurant worker for all his help. A bunch of you have already subscribed and become Prognosis Ohio patrons, and we're super appreciative for that. If a few more listeners could chip in the 3 bucks, it would really help us to grow the show. And when the pandemic's over, I'm going to be sure to get you one of the cool Prognosis Ohio t-shirts we're making. You can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash prognosisohio. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Duana Patton is CEO of the Ohio District 5 Area Agency on Aging, a private nonprofit serving nine counties in north central Ohio. Duana is also the president and CEO of the Area Agency on Aging Foundation, that's a tongue twister, which she co-founded in 2011. Duana serves on local, state, and national boards, including the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging. In 2018, Duana was appointed by Ohio Governor John Kasich to the Ohio Housing Finance Agency Board. Okay, now to my conversation with Duana Patton. Thanks so much, Duana, for talking with us today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you. So I'd like to start, you know, many of our listeners may not know what an area agency on aging does. Uh, that's a little bit of a tongue twister for me, probably not for you since you live in that world. But I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, what area agencies on aging do. So area agencies on aging, there are 622 across the country and 12 here in Ohio. We are the, the cornerstone of the service system that really meets the needs of older Ohioans. Uh, who are living at home. We are also advocates and innovators um, that will really um, focus on a mission to ensure the health and safety of our older Ohioans and their caregivers. So obviously right now, you know, um, I'm talking to you from my home to your home. (laughs) There's a lot of 
discussion in the media about uh, COVID-19 and, and, and in particular, the media narrative has been around the vulnerabilities that older Americans are experiencing from COVID-19, from the coronavirus. I wonder if you could give us a snapshot in, in your nine county region. How are you seeing the coronavirus impacting the populations that you work with? What kind of new issues have arisen? So I would say it's twofold. One, we are seeing a lot of need for uh, meals, uh, food. A lot of folks aren't able to get to the grocery store. Individuals are needing meals. So area agencies are have been able to uh, take uh, their services and modify the way we're delivering meals. So an individual that you know might have been able to get out and go to a senior center or a local place um, that would serve a, a lunch or dinner. Now that they can't do that, we've been able to provide home-delivered meals. So we've seen a huge uptick in the number of home-delivered meals that we are providing. Area agencies across the state are mobilizing volunteers and staff members and their providers to ensure that we can, can meet that volume. Sometimes goes unnoticed is the fact that our seniors, even in a, you know, in a normal situation, but even more so now, are, are struggling with isolation. And, you know, that really has, you know, consequences for mental health and depression and, and other health issues um, that come. And we just sometimes don't see that isolation. So we really are, as an aging network, focusing on how we can connect with seniors who live alone and are really closed off. You know, it's amazing. I mean, a lot of us are struggling with isolation, uh, whether, you know, old or young and in different contexts and in different ways during this time. And yet at the same time, when you think about the idea of, you know, connectivity, I know that uh, also you represent um, your agency works in some of Ohio's counties that have poor internet access, for example, right, where we don't necessarily have the lines that we need. And you might also be working with a population that isn't the most savvy on just jumping on a Zoom meeting or something like this, these things that we're doing to have connectivity at this time. That is that is exactly correct. Uh, your assumption is is real. And so we've had to um, think about innovative ways to connect with the seniors. So most of them have telephones, whether it's a cell phone or your traditional landline. We yeah. are uh, finding volunteers and staff members who can just pick up the phone and connect with that senior just to say, hello, how are you doing? Do you have any needs that we might need to address? We also are working with some of our local school systems to do letter campaigns. So, you know, when you look at the media coverage of COVID-19, especially right now, looking at um, in New Jersey, for example, there was a, a large nursing facility that had just um, a really tragic number of deaths that um, had been kind of not known about for quite a while. And a lot of the focus has been on nursing facilities and and other kinds of facilities for seniors because of the twofold problem of living in close proximity and also the increased vulnerability that comes from uh, being older and having co uh, you know comorbidities, for example, other um, illnesses or health issues that could really make COVID-19 dangerous. But your agency works primarily on this idea of aging in place, of keeping people in their homes as long as they can safely be there. I wonder if you could give me a, a snapshot of, of how you think about that division right now. Is there a moment where your agency's model and this focus on helping people to stay in their homes is really validated because we see some of the problems that arise from you know living in, in these kinds of larger uh, collective spaces? 
So, you know, obviously our goal is to keep people at home when when that is the best option. And we have had to get very creative to ensure that we can keep them in the home versus, you know, the nursing home. Normally, you know, we would find somebody that that maybe due to health and safety reasons needed the nursing home. But we're trying even harder today to keep them out of those you know, those facilities. And here's the great caveat to that. You know, families are, are finding themselves home and not working or working from home. And so families have been able to step in with regards to home care where they couldn't have in the past. So that has really added, you know, a level of ability to get the services for individuals. But the other thing that we're seeing is, you know, the governor is saying, you know, social distancing, you know, keep keep your circles uh, small, keep it to family members or people in the immediate household. So we found some seniors, you know, reluctant to have personal care aides come in or services delivered in the home. So we're hopeful that they're getting that that need met by family members. But again, that's where that check, that phone call is, is real invaluable. Um, but we do have the opportunity to work with nursing homes. We, across the area agencies and other organizations in the state, administer uh, in conjunction with the state, the ombudsman program. Mm-hmm. And so we do maintain that close connection with, with nursing homes to make sure that their residents, you know, in those facilities are getting their needs met, uh, especially during this challenging time. So even though our focus is on home Home care, we we do have that role from the ombudsman program that we we do have that that opportunity to work with nursing homes, and we find those individuals, you know, they're isolated together in the nursing home, but they have this huge sense of what's going on out in the community. They don't see what you and I see every day when there's limited traffic or the malls have empty parking lots, and they want to know about that. So yeah. even in a nursing home where you think they're congregating and they have people around them, they still have this sense of isolation and they're not seeing their family members unless it's through a window or, a, you know, a pane glass. I've talked with a number of grandparents who are really struggling with the inability to see their grandkids or their kids, um, you know, and, and they know that, you know, the reason why is for their own protection, but that doesn't make it any easier at all. And it kind of drives home that while we're trying to make sure that we reduce the spread of this thing, we also have to attend to our mental health and to our happiness in ways that we can. And that's a real balance to try to find the right way to handle. Absolutely. And I've, I've told a couple individuals, it's kind of like we just have to get back to the basics where technology was um, the simple way to connect with people, you know, social media, text messages. You know, when we think about our, isolated seniors and our most vulnerable population, like get back to basics, pick up a card and a pen and write them a letter and send it to the local nursing home. Um, and I've even said to individuals, even if you don't have a loved one in that nursing facility, just write it to dear nursing home resident. I'm thinking of you. And it goes a long way. As listeners know, we've been committed to calling attention to groups doing important work in our community. And this week, we'd like to tell you about an organization doing great work with homeless youth. 
It might be easy to forget that some of the most vulnerable people in our community will get hit the hardest by a national event like COVID-19. Huck House is a community program that assists Ohio's youth, helping them to get on their feet and stay there with its crisis shelter program, transitional living program, and counseling services. Huck House and many shelters like it in Ohio are in need, now more than ever, of community support to continue their services. Please go to huckhouse.org slash donate today to find a variety of ways you can support Ohio's youth in crisis. That's huckhouse.org slash donate. And by the way, this is not an ad. Huckhouse doesn't know we're doing this. Okay, now back to our conversation with Juana Patton. On our last episode, we talked with Julie DeRossi King from the Ohio's Association of uh, Community Health Centers. And mm-hmm. one of the things they were talking about was that, you know, a lot of people are, you know, apparently not getting the healthcare they need, the non-COVID healthcare they need, because they're afraid of going into healthcare spaces. They're afraid of the vulnerabilities that they might be um, facing there. And, you know, there's this concern that we could be seeing another um, major health catastrophe come because people are not attending to their healthcare needs. Can you tell me a little bit about the people you work with, your your population of um, you know people living in place or aging in place, and how you're communicating to them the decision of when to leave their house to go get healthcare services, when to get checked out, when to do preventive care, or to address something that may be concerning them? Sure. So for us in the world of, of- you know, what the area agencies are responsible for, and that is case management. We do that in conjunction with the individual, their families, and their healthcare providers. So we try to do some teaching and helping individuals understand, you know, the diseases or the illnesses that they are managing in their home and reminding them of the importance of taking their medications, checking their weight, uh, and then, you know, knowing what those triggers are that would require them to make that call to to their doctor. And we always, you know, we like to say, you know, a little problem's better than a big problem that might put you in the hospital or in a nursing facility. So we encourage them to contact their primary care physician when there are these, these triggers that happen um, to ensure that we're catching things before they get worse. It's, it's a lot easier to work with their their primary care physician. A lot of times they're doing that telephonic now. So just reassuring the individual that just picking up the phone and letting the medical professional know that, you know, you've gained weight or your blood pressure's been up or you haven't had an appetite or you've had a fever. Um, Just kind of encouraging them to make that call because we don't want it to get to the point where they are in the hospital or having to go to the emergency room. It's an educational piece. Yeah, I was thinking that because, you know, the, the area agency on aging that you represent, one of my understanding is that you do a lot of work with transportation, which during normal times is a huge barrier. And right now, transportation is sort of being supplanted by telemedicine to some degree, or at least that's the hope that we can bridge that divide uh, while we're trying to minimize exposure to COVID-19. So I wonder if telemedicine, if you could share a little bit of the experience you've had in trying to talk with um, your folks about telemedicine, are there barriers there as well, or is, is it a welcome development? So I would say it varies across the spectrum. We have found that individuals who have a close support system at home, whether they're living with family members or have a close neighbor, you know, somebody that assures them that the person on the other end of the phone is real and is somebody who cares about your needs versus the person that's very isolated, it's very hard for them to trust and to be mm-hmm. comfortable, you know, with that that setting because it is very different. 
Um, we work with a population that's, you know, they like that connection and, you know, actually going to the doctor and sitting down with them. And so it's just making them um, understand that, that it is helpful. So again, it's just education, but everybody is different. And we are definitely seeing more people willing and open to that because they understand it is the way um, in which they can get the care and the help that they need. So I think, you know, in, in every crisis, there's a lot we can learn, a lot we can consider. We're probably more innovative today than we were, you know, four months ago. And so it's just, it's really about figuring out how to educate the people that we serve and changing the dynamics of how they get care. So I also know that you're involved with uh, you know, area agencies on the national level as well. And I wonder if you could just give us a snapshot of, you know, there there might be unique uh, features of Ohioans' needs at this time. We have a state that has some major cities, but also a lot of rural areas, and that's kind of part of our identity. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think about that? Where, where does Ohio fall? Are you hearing the same things from your colleagues around the country? Or is Ohio unique in some ways that might be worth sharing with our listeners? So I would say that, um, you know, what I'm hearing from some of my peers, I haven't talked to to all of them across the country, only uh, a few. I, I would say that our situations with regards to the people that we serve are very similar. The way that the states and the area agencies are able to, everybody is funded differently. Every state system is set up differently. But the bottom line is the mission stays the same in that we want to ensure the health and safety of older adults in our communities. What I can say about Ohio, and I've mentioned this several times um, in this conversation, is the education and the information is critical. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt that Ohio has nailed that from the governor's level to the local levels, the communication to Ohio citizens has been remarkable. And that in itself has maintained the calm. I think it's also maintained that that integrity of, of service delivery in all spectrums, whether it's home health or hospitals, um, whatever it might be. So I think that that's what Ohio has done very well is is maintain that open, transparent conversation across the spectrum. So you know, I'm just wondering here in Franklin County, where I am, uh, you know, Governor DeWine and um, Director Acton, their their afternoon uh, press conferences have become these kind of uh, you know, TV sensations. Is that true also for the population that you work with in the nine county region in North Central Ohio? I, I think so, um, because we have found that, you know, usually around four o'clock or first thing the next morning after a a conference or a press conference that the governor has done, there might be questions from individuals. So for example, when the governor was talking about the need for everybody to wear a mask, we had a number of phone calls from seniors saying, where do I get one of these? Yeah, You know, right. I'm not going to go on Amazon and order them. How do I get them? I mean, all the way across the gamut of, hey, I'm a senior citizen and I have a sewing machine and some material around the house. How do I make these? And so we sent them a sample homemade mask and the, um, you know, the instructions off of, of the internet on how to make masks. And so now this uh, 
individual and her sister are making uh, masks for their community and their families. You know, I think our older citizens are watching and listening to the governor every day at, at two o'clock, and that's where they're getting some of their cues. So we are watching and listening, and we can be prepared for the questions that we might get based upon that transparent conversation. So it's made every one of us better um, and aligned in how things are happening and unfolding here in the state of Ohio. So I just have a final question for you, which is you, you mentioned the word innovation before. And I wonder, um, you know, I, I'm a health policy uh, professor. Uh, that's what I do. So I kind of look at the world oftentimes through that lens. But also you are just tr- uh, in a service provision position as well. You're trying to make sure that the population you work with gets what they need. I wonder what you're learning from this moment. What what are going to be the takeaways? And I'm also curious if there are specific policy changes that you're thinking about now that you've seen through this experience that you're honing in on, that you're saying, we th- these are things we need to pursue? I mean, I think it's a, a big question, and I think there's a lot that we will continue to learn. But as far as innovative and policy changes, I think we've all figured out that there are different ways of providing services and connecting with our seniors. So I think we need to put a lot of emphasis on this Uh, telephonic case management. You know, I I think that lends to um, ongoing and more uh, intentional communications. I also really think that we will see a lot more growth in telehealth and how we are utilizing technology to care for some of our most vulnerable citizens. And I don't know that there's a lot of policy on that or, you know, a lot of that throughout the entire state, but I think we will learn a lot from areas and and service providers, healthcare organizations who have really been able to implement that in their systems. Uh, I know that there's concepts about, you know, how we integrate within the healthcare system. So I think there's going to be a lot more collaboration in the future between, you know, home care agencies, community-based organizations, and the healthcare systems. We've all needed each other during this time. And so I think it's brought a whole sense of the importance of how we all work together for Ohio's um, citizens, aging or not. Right. Well, it certainly cast a a big light on what we do well and what we don't do so well. And, you know, some of the um, accommodations, for example, that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services have made with regard to telemedicine, but also other things, you know, moving forward, I think there's going to be some policy innovation coming from this. And you know, we definitely know that long-term care and how we work with older Americans is something that has needed to be addressed for a long time, Um, you know, and hopefully this will be a a laboratory to kind of advance that. I I think it will. Well, Duana, thank you so much for taking some time. I know you're, uh, you've got a busy schedule. You've got um, a a lot of important work to do during this time. And I'm just really glad that we were able to share a little bit of uh, what you do and what your thoughts are um, with our listeners. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the podcast experience tab. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio, especially for tweets and retweets we're putting out with the latest information from state public health and other officials. 
As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. And we already mentioned the Patreon account. We'd really appreciate you checking that out. Thanks for listening and be well, friends.